I want you to join with me in uh, reading the Lord's Prayer together. And it'll make sense here in just a couple of minutes. You should see it up on the screen. If we have that, we have that? There we go. And read it um, in a way that you are familiar with it. This may not be exactly the way that you're familiar with it. This then is how we should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Amen. You may be seated. Wasn't that a great time of worship this morning, friends? Yeah. So we're in this series, True or False, and uh, not gonna lie, this morning's message is, is gonna be a challenge for me and, and, and for all of us, I'm sure. The title is Forgiving Means Forgetting. And if you have a Bible, we're gonna be in Matthew 6, 9 through 14, uh, eventually here, so if you wanna go ahead uh, and turn there, and then eventually we're gonna be in eight, chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. I want to clarify as we get going, verse 14 and 15, because I think um, those two verses, if you need a Bible, slip a hand up, we've got ushers coming. Those two verses um, can be uh, super confusing. What it's not referring to is God's initial act of forgiveness and reconciliation that we experience when we first believe the gospel. He is referring to the day-to-day -day cleansing when we confess and have renewed fellowship. I don't know about you, but it makes me want to understand forgiveness even more. So forgiveness, what is it really? The answer is not as easy as you might think or want to believe. I wanna begin by talking about what I believe is the most common and, and the most familiar approach to forgiveness it's called the scorecard forgiveness. It suggests that each of us carry around with us kind of an invisible scorecard. Most people want to live in a relationship where the score is tied, where it's, where it's even all of the time. And when the score is tied, it takes the tension, it takes the awkwardness out of the relationship. No one owes the other person anything. So what happens in a relationship when one says or does something to offend or to hurt another person? Often we say, and we're quick to say, I forgive you without ever really considering what do those words mean. It is usually just our attempt to deny or, or maybe to, to minimize the offense so that we feel better. We say we forgive. And what we really do is detach ourselves from that person so their offense no longer causes us pain. We detach from people and events all the time so we don't have to feel. We live in the flesh. All we know to do is self-protect. If I stop caring about you, then it is easier to forgive you and to move away from you. We do it all the time. 
Think about how many times someone has hurt you and then little by little, you move away from them. Regardless how close you are to, to a person whom you are choosing to forgive, if it's out of the flesh, you will detach from them emotionally because you are more concerned about protecting yourself. The forgiveness scorecard does not allow you to stay in there and remain in the, the journey of forgiveness as we'll talk about in just a minute. So all we can do is detach and protect and say, I forgive you. But what if I choose to not forgive? What if I choose to hold on to the offense? I gain two points on my scorecard. Because as long as I choose to not forgive, they remain in a position to owe me. And again, it's all about me. To seek and offer forgiveness in the flesh is really just us excusing one another while we allow hurt to spill over into each other's lives. And so what we're really doing is not forgiving, we're just excusing. The forgiveness scorecard is our fleshly attempt at a God-sized action, as we will clearly see. It is you and me attempting to carry out something that we are incapable of doing apart from him, to truly forgive. So what is true biblical forgiveness and how do we do it? I wanna use the Lord's Prayer, verse 12, as our two main points. And we said, forgive us our debts, the first part of verse 12. Maybe one day I will uh, preach a mini series on the Lord's Prayer, but for day, uh, today I want us to focus our attention on verse 12. It's a part of the Lord's Prayer that, that we have no doubt uttered from our lips so many times. If you are with a group of people like you were this morning and are this morning and you recite the Lord's Prayer, you might hear different versions and, and, and use different words that you're familiar with. Some will say, forgive us our debts. Some will say our trespasses. Others will say our sins. When we use the word debt, it means owing a financial or moral debt or an obligation. Trespass means to overstep a boundary or to overstep a limit. When we sin, we violate God. Some have said it like this, we have committed treasonous trespass and we owe the debt of treason, which is death. Our sin against God requires death. In both cases, Jesus wanted us to understand our sin as both the sense of owing a debt and the sense of trespassing into an area or a territory that doesn't belong to us. What is behind the phrase, and forgive us our debts? Romans 3.23 says, give us the answer. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we're in that first part of verse 12, forgive us our debts. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. Paul spent the first three chapters in Romans dealing with the topics of godlessness and worldly mindsets and behaviors and practices. As a result of our sin, we all stand equally helpless and guilty. It says all fall short or all are lacking or have missed the mark as an arrow misses the target. All sin is against God. All sin leads to broken fellowship with God. That is why this daily request is so powerful. 
It's getting right with God daily by seeking forgiveness of anything that might lead to broken fellowship with him. A believer in Christ is positionally righteous. You are made righteous when you come to Christ. Meaning because of the gospel, which is the death, the burial, and the resurrection, we have been redeemed, bought with the price, the death of Jesus. He paid the debt for us. So we who are saved are positionally righteous, but not practically so. We've been forgiven and set free from the bondage of sin, but we still sin. This is the daily request for renewed communion with God. We're created to live in fellowship with God, to walk closely with him. God, thank you for sending your son to pay my debt for violating you and your standards. Romans 5.8 says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Praise God. Through his son, Jesus Christ, the debt has been paid for those who have recognized their need uh, for their sin to be forgiven and have accepted Jesus as the only means for the forgiveness, the penalty of sin has been taken away. A believer, one who has placed their trust and their faith and their hope in Christ, no longer stands guilty. Your sin has been forgiven and he no longer holds your sin against you. We are set free out from under the weight of the guilt of sin. We are made alive in Christ. The fear of God's wrath is removed. Listen as I read a few verses. Psalm 103, 12 says this, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Isaiah 1:18 says this, come now, let us argue this out, says the Lord. No matter how deep the stain of your sins, I can remove it. I can make you as clean as freshly fallen snow. Even if you are stained as red crimson, I can make you as white as wool. Psalm 133 and four, Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, who, O oh Lord, could ever survive, but you offer forgiveness that we might learn from you. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So we begin with, God forgive us our debts. This must come first. To forgive our debtors, those who trespass and sin against us, we first must be forgiven of our debts, freely receive, freely give. Number two, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Before we dive into the understanding of forgiveness and what the scripture teaches us about forgiveness, let me share with you a workable definition of forgiveness. Forgiveness <clears throat> is the foregoing of resentment or revenge. The foregoing of resentment or revenge when the wrongdoer's actions deserve it. And instead giving the offender gifts of grace and mercy and generosity and love when the wrongdoer does not deserve them. Forgiveness happens when the offended gives up anger to which they are entitled and the offender receives a gift to which he or she is not entitled. 
Genuine forgiveness does not mean forgetting the offense occurred, condoning it, or even excusing it. It means to no longer hold the offense against the offender. Here's what Jesus is teaching us in this prayer. Once our eyes have been opened to the enormity of our offense against God, the sin which others have done against us will appear in comparison trivial. On the other hand, if we inflate the offense of others against us, we will at the same time minimize our own sin and the need for forgiveness. Forgiveness is not a feeling or words that we utter from our mouth. It's an act of obedience by faith. Forgiveness is not a feeling or words that we utter from our mouth. It's an act of obedience by faith, trusting God to meet us in the pain along the road to freedom. We're trusting God to provide the strength to do something we cannot do on our own. We're trusting God that we would rest in the promises of God that he would heal our hearts. Forgiveness does not mean forgetting. We're human with the ability to remember. We're, we're human with the ability to hold on to memories. Forgiveness is not a magic wand that, that, that makes it all go away. Poof, it's gone. It's only as we step out in obedience through faith every single day, sometimes multiple times a day, does the offense and the memory of the offense begin to fade. And little by little, as we fix our eyes on Jesus and trust him with our minds and our heart. I want us to look at Matthew 18, 21 through 35 to help us understand what biblical forgiveness is, what it looks like. First, Let's answer the question of frequency. How many times should we forgive? Verse 21 and 22. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Is seven times, would that be good enough? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. And we know if you do research and dig a little bit more from other translations, you realize that that 77 times means 70 times, seven times. Lord, how many times should I forgive? Is seven times enough? Then, then, oh Lord, can I harbor the anger that I wanna harbor? Then can I hold it against them again? Then can I go back to my scorecard? And the Lord's response was not seven, but 77 times. 70 times, seven times. So then when they have hurt me 490 times, then can I be angry? Then can I become bitter? That's not the point. It's not about a scale. It's not about a scorecard that keeps track of people's wrongdoings against us. It's an issue of the heart is what Jesus is pointing out. Am I willing to trust God and forgive every single time? Keep in mind that forgiveness does not excuse another person's behavior. Can we be forgiven and refuse to forgive. This is where the rubber starts to meet the road. 
verse 23 and on. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and all of his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay everything back. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. So so the story continues and describes how the forgiven man goes and finds someone who owes him money. Did he extend the same forgiveness? Did he show the same mercy? Absolutely not. He did just the opposite and threw the servant into jail until he could repay him. Does that sound familiar to you? Have you been forgiven? Forgive us our debts, O Lord. And you've put somebody else in jail. Even though you yourself have received the king's forgiveness, are you making somebody else pay? God's forgiveness is is not to be taken lightly. His desire is not for us to receive and then turn around and reject. What I mean is that his plan is not for us to receive his forgiveness and then refuse to give it to other people. Had God never forgiven us, then we could justify our actions towards other people. This is really hard stuff. However, judging by the forgiveness that he has extended to me, to us, I have to ask the question, is there really anyone that doesn't deserve my forgiveness? In the parable, the king is Jesus and the servant is you and me. But the fellow servant represents all different people in our lives. They might be a spouse who continues to hurt their marriage partner through things that they say, actions, habits. The fellow servant might be a father who abandons his family or abuses his own children. It might be a wife who leaves her husband for another man, a friend who betrayed your trust, a coworker or a boss who makes all kinds of unfair accusations, a parent who tells their child that they would never amount to anything, a spouse who tells their husband or wife in so many ways that you're not good enough, a coach who cut you or a teacher that made you feel stupid, a parent who acted as though you didn't even exist. Those are the fellow servants. As the servant of the king who has received forgiveness, do you have any fellow servants, you are refusing to forgive their debt. Imagine for a moment that your, your heart and your mind are a bank account. 
When someone does something or uh, when someone says something that either hurts you or offends you or causes you pain, here's here's what we do. We make a deposit and we write in the memo the name of the person. And sometimes those are one deposit on top of another deposit and they gain traction or sometimes it's just one really large deposit that we use to justify our feelings and our thoughts about the person or behavior, the way we're gonna behave towards that person. While you would think that a sizable bank account is a good thing because it justifies, it empowers and it fuels us, the truth is actually it's a poison that kills us. Those deposits over time turn into anger. And anger leads to an unforgiving heart, which leads to a bitter heart. A bitter heart is by default a poisoned heart. It's a heart that has been exposed and contaminated to unforgiveness time and time again. Past pain and unforgiveness are often the reason for our present anger and bitterness. We don't often want to forgive because we don't want to give up the pain. Because when we hold on to the pain of the offense, we falsely believe that it empowers us. It becomes a control mechanism and gives us permission to feel a certain way and act the way that we're acting. Often unknowingly pain becomes our fuel. In fact, one of the ways to discover whether or not you have truly forgiven someone is to test your mind and to test your heart. Do you still role play what you would say if you could? Do you ruminate over the offense over and over again? What about your physical reaction when you see the person? We imagine scenes in which we are giving back all of the pain, all of the hurt that they gave us. We want them to feel what we feel. Things that irritate you today are rooted, often rooted in a much deeper, unresolved anger from the past. If you have expectations of a person where you require something or are looking for a person to do something or say something a certain way or act a certain way towards you, It is telling where your heart is. Forgiveness is never dependent on what another person says or how they say it. It's never dependent upon how another person, what they do. All of those things are simply things we are using to justify our thoughts and our behaviors. How do I know that? Well, imagine if Jesus had expectations of us for his forgiveness. Imagine if it was dependent on what we said or how we said it or what we do. Every single one of us would still have the weight of our sin on our shoulders. It would still be held against you. Jesus died for our sin. All we need to do is to confess our sin, admit our wrongdoing, ask him for forgiveness and repent and turn the other way. 
The pain and the hurt you experience is most likely not the first. Chances are it is another deposit into a bank account that has existed for a very long time. None of this is to excuse the offense. It's to understand and grasp that forgiveness is beyond us. It requires a sovereign, holy God to miraculously heal our hearts. Forgiveness on the other hand is through faith. It's turning your attention away from your prison wall that you have stared at for so long and looking to the open door, trusting God's invitation as you seek to listen to his voice. It's not in prison, it's not in the prison cell, left with your own heart, left with your, with your own mind where you will find healing through forgiveness. That's not where it takes place. It's outside of the cell, sitting and being brutally honest with God for all of the pain and the hurt that they have either intentionally or unintentionally caused you to suffer. True forgiveness will be evident through your actions and through their actions. Hate will turn to love, bitterness will turn to joy, rejection will turn to acceptance and hurt and pain again will find healing. How is that possible? Only through the help of the Holy Spirit. You cannot truly forgive a person through your own strength. The bitterness is too deep and the pain is too unbearable. You can forgive others through the blood of Christ. It goes on, verse 32, then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. But what about the end of the parable when Jesus stresses the heart issue? Why is it so hard to forgive from the heart? Because when something is truly from the heart, then it will affect our response. Forgiveness from the heart will set us free from holding on to bitterness, which destroys us. Forgiveness from the heart will free us from receiving God's forgiveness and then refusing it to others. Am I, are you withholding? The servant exercised justice towards the man who owed him money. And when the king found out he said, justice? You want justice? I'll show you justice. The world's worst prison we all know and have all heard is the prison of an unforgiving heart. As long as we refuse to forgive, we are imprisoning ourselves and causing our own torment. An unforgiving heart is a tormented heart. The most miserable people you will ever meet are those who refuse to forgive. They choose rather to harbor bitterness. The warning is here, the warning is loud. Let us hold back from revenge and judgment, a piece of our mind given another a how-to. Rather let us extend forgiveness through grace as Jesus extended forgiveness through grace. Let me close with a story that will drive this entire topic deep into our hearts. 
During World War II and the Nazi occupation of Holland, this remarkable Dutch woman and her family were sent to Ravensbrück concentration camp for hiding Jews in their home. She proceeded, my name is Corey Timboom and I am a murderer. There was total silence. You see, when I was in prison camp, I saw the same guard day in and day out. He was the one who mocked and sneered at us when we were stripped and taken to the showers. We felt the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment of skin. He spat on us in a contempt and I hated him. I hated him with every fiber of my being, with every evil act he committed. My, my hatred grew day by day. I knew that it was all right to hate evil, but I hated the sinner. Jesus says, when you hate someone, you're guilty of murder. So I wanted you all right from the start that you are listening to a murderer. When we were freed, I left Germany vowing to never return, Corey continued but I was invited back here to speak. I did not want to go, but I felt the Lord nudging me. Very reluctantly, I went. My first talk was on forgiveness. And as I was speaking, I saw to my horror that same prison guard sitting in my audience. When he had last seen me, I was emaciated, sick, and my hair was shorn. I don't know if he recognized me at that point, but I could never forget his face. Never, it was clear to me by the radiant look on his face while I spoke that he had been converted since I last saw him. After I'd finished speaking, he came up to me and he said to me with a beaming smile, ah, Sister Corey, isn't it wonderful how God forgives? How good it is to know, as you say, all of our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And he extended his hand for me to shake. It was the first time since my release that I had seen him face to face. He was my captor and my blood seemed to freeze. All I felt as I looked at him was hate. I said to the Lord silently, there is nothing in me that could ever love that man. I hate him for what he did to me and my family. But you tell us that we're supposed to love our enemies. That's impossible for me, but nothing is impossible for you. So if you expect me to love this man, it's going to have to come from you because all I feel is hate. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he said. I was a guard there. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things that I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Again, his hand came out. Will you forgive me? Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me. I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much, but you have to supply the feeling. Corey went on to say that at that moment, she felt nudged to do only one thing. Put out your hand, Corey, the Lord seemed to say. Then she told us it took all of the years that I had quietly obeyed God in the obscurity to do the hardest thing that I've ever done in my life. I put out my hand. 
Then she said something remarkable. It was only after one simple act of obedience that I felt something like warm oil was being poured over me. And with it came the unmistakable message. Well done, Corey. That's how my children behave. And the hate in my heart was absorbed and gone. And so one murderer embraced another murderer, but in the love of Christ. Let me leave you with one thing. Colossians 3, 12 through 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Oh God, like Corey's story, We all have had enough life to know that we cannot do this on our own. We've all attempted to exercise and live out of the forgiveness of the flesh. And it just repeats, it consumes, it grips, it rehearses. God, we need you. You have called us to do something that is incredibly difficult. But you're saying to us, I'm not asking you to do that on your own. I'm here. I've given you the spirit. Look to me. I will walk the path with you of the hurt and the pain. I will give you the freedom. I will give you the words. I will give you the courage. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.